Celtics members sort of five, ten minutes in. We've got so many that I don't even think that they're important anymore. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, a lot of students don't want theirs recorded, and, and it's not. But anyway, thank you for your contribution. Because it's actually good to um, have a, a whole history of your, of your progress, as mm-hmm. well as uh, that's also a fairly... Uh, complete way of hearing the com- or it's a way of hearing the complete Dhamma it's because we, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at it from a lot of different angles um, and and so today uh, the situation is, is here, here you are all juiced up in, in jhana and then it's time to go to work and you don't want to do it yeah. And so instead of keeping the jhana, you decide to be unhappy because you got to go to work. And then, now, boom, it's gone. Old, is that an old habit or what? <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, it seems to me, and everyone that I say this to kind of agrees with me in their own past, so there's no real scientific evidence that I know of, we get into the habit of doing what we're told to do and don't like it. So now that uh, parent in your head, as Byrne calls it, the parent ego state, tells uh, us or the child what to do we go back into that same old habit and say I'll do it but I don't want to yep. that is in fact if you think about uh, this pleasant state of first jhana should and ought to and could be the normal state of, of uh, humans Yep. That's their normal yeah. state, rather than occasional state. Should be. Um, yep. If it were the normal state, then when someone does do this to themselves, they would they would recognize, oh, I have just been reborn in the animal world. <sighs> yep, that's exactly what I thought. I was <laughs> thinking, right, and now I'm in the woeful states. But then you can remind yourself, but I can get out of that too. I can come someday to the point of, uh, it's actually a Walt Disney song. (laughs) And it comes out of, what, early 1950s, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, where hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. I remember that, yeah. And and whistle (laughs) while we work. And we were so while we work, you know, <laughs> and and so we as humans could live our lives like those seven dwarves when we don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just habitual. And then we, when we see it in Walt Disney, we think it's a cartoon and that that's magical thinking. 
uh-huh. that no one actually enjoys doing their work. Yeah. So, this is what we need to do with the mind is to, is to, to pick up on that. To recognize that in fact we do go into these woeful states, either because we want something, or because we want to, we have to do something that we don't want to do, mm. or that something comes that we don't like. But you can see, in fact, what really happens is it doesn't matter whether it's coming or going; it winds up in the same feeling. Say that again? It doesn't matter the coming or going. What I mean by that, it doesn't mean whether we like it and we want it, or whether we don't like it and are trying to get away from it. Or right. that third kind of feeling is, is that I don't know whether I like it or not. In all three cases, we wind up feeling bad. Yep. Yep. In Definitely. all three cases, I used to think, man, at least we got one out of three. At least I can go around liking things all the time. No, that's the one that's, in fact, the most common and the most dangerous. Yeah. You get attached. Well, we, the whole society ultra supports that. Yeah. I recommend often, there's a four-part series on YouTube, each one of them lasting an hour. It's a a four-hour documentary, and the name of it is The Century of the Self. Century of the Self. And what this this is, it is a um, a long, detailed, pointed documentary from the perspective or or the point of view of the birth of industrial psychology. Right. Which actually means the the birth of scientifically learning to manipulate people en masse. Mm -hmm. Or the birth of propaganda. Yeah, sure. Okay. And that uh, the guy that is the heart of this is Edward Bernays, who was an actual, he was the actual nephew of Sigmund Freud. Oh, and wow. from his uncle, he got all of this information about the human psyche and everything that Freud was doing through his research. But he learned, he used it to turn people against their own best self-interest. Mm-hmm. It many, many things. So our society over the past hundred years, while it is waking up intellectually to understand some things, on other things it's very, very much manipulated by the, uh, the culture that we mm-hmm. see presented in media. And so that's what this documentary is all about. It will blow your mind. It will really see. It really shows everybody who watches this, this is Sila Bata Paramasa in mm. on steroids or full blown. This is it. And it seems like that our society is the one that is um, most likely to come out of it 
because we can see the suffering of it because it's really got us. Mm-hmm. We are slaves. I mean, this is exactly what Black Lives Matter. The reason why so many people are getting on that bandwagon is because they say, yeah, yep. whatever whatever black life means, right now to me it means my life actually does matter. Mm. And um, that's taking it from the perspective of, wait a minute, I matter to me enough to get myself out of that crap. Yep that the society has created for us to make us slaves, to make us need the big business. I call it the greb. Have I talked like to you about the slavery? The greb. Well, the greb. What's that? Government, religion, education, and business. Yeah. These four are the ones who are uh, most uh, as... Uh, in, industrial systems and in fact um, the question is where do we put medicine medicine you put that in business because hospitals are no longer in uh, um, in the care business they're in the business of care so it's all been turned business but all four of these is talked about in the um, uh, the century of the self that Mm -hmm. shows how really stuck we are into that society and that's exactly you felt what they want you to feel subconsciously and in fact you felt that way subconsciously every day since you were a child yeah but now coming out of the jhana state, in fact, this was the thing that actually grabbed you and pulled you right out of the jhana state, and now you can see it. Congratulations. <laughs> wakey, wakey. That's what this whole process is about, is to be able to see these hindrances. Mm. So that next time that happens to you, and it won't be the last, you can grab it now every time and start to sing that song, hi-ho, hi-ho, is off to work, we got to do it. Yeah, I couldn't help but think it would be so good if if I just didn't work, if I just quit and just went and just just stayed at home and just meditated. That was the that was the thought process in my mind. And yeah, you know, that is the normal thing that happens. Though over time we become less and less attached to that outside world, and and the more we become attached to those things that are worthwhile attaching to. Yeah. I yeah, said I can something's going to really tick off a bunch of Buddhists <laughs> using that <laughs> word attachment. <laughs> <laughs> But literally, what we're talking about here is not the four modes of clinging that lead us to the four woeful states, but rather we're talking about attachment to things that are really worthwhile attaching to, Mm. like this present moment, and attaching to the Dhamma, and that the material things that we attach to that bring us to the sum total conclusion, at least once every two weeks when we get the paycheck. Darn mm-hmm. it, was my last two weeks worth this paycheck? Mm-hmm. 
and we start asking ourselves that question in the sense of a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. But that's that's also what happens when um, we understand uh, the, the the sangha and the existence of the Buddha sangha is actually this issue. And that yeah. is, are you free enough to just walk off and go sit in the woods? Yeah. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, that, that, that lifestyle is becoming increasingly, increasingly, uh, uh, let us say, worthwhile to where not long ago that, that society, I mean, it comes in fits and starts. Mm-hmm. I'm out of the hippie movement. This is part of my blood and skin, you know, is uh, the counterculture movement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of time that we had another one. The last one was because of a war. The Vietnamese War calls a complete countercultural thing, but it fizzled out <clears throat> and all the counterculturalists said, yes, sir, I'm back to work, sir, and climb that ladder again. So maybe this generation, because in fact, the ladder itself is increasingly shaky. Yeah. And coronavirus has actually been able to show how fragile it is. Yep. Imagine what life would be like if, in fact, everybody did, regardless of the reason. But they made the decision that I, I don't need to work. I can just quit my job. Yeah. Let's see what life is like. Imagine what it would be like if just everybody quit. <laughs> yeah, everyone would be a lot more happy, a lot less stressed out. Well, a lot of people though do stress themselves out because they don't plan in advance about how are they going to, um, let us say, develop the skill of eating. Because mm-hmm. right now they're they're eating they they. That's the that's the big fear that people have is is that if I don't work I don't eat, you know something. The society, especially in in places like England and the United States, they set it up that way on purpose. Mm, pretty much. And now they have all of this excess labor that they don't want to pay anything for, and it's excess because they don't need it. They don't need it right now because of the coronavirus. But everybody is trying to scrap. I got, especially the people who own businesses. I got to get back in business. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. And you can see they're just frantic about it. Mm. It's it's the frantic group who need to sit down and take a rest. And they're either frantic because they don't know where they're going to eat, or they're frantic because they can't get their business back together. Mm. But I think a lot of people are beginning to get over their frantic. In fact, that's part of the reason why they wanted to open things back up was because people didn't want to deal with that frantic that mm. they had, the fear that was there. And it's so well known, it's got names like cabin fever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you get cooped up and you have to deal with your own mind and you find it's quite a jungle in there. <laughs> I know so many people. Well, not so many people. Every single person around me is all 
It's all like stressed out, being cooped up. Um, I'm the only person I know who's just who's just fine. <laughs> well, that's because you're practicing being just fine, and they're frantics. And while you're practicing being just fine, they're actually practicing being frantic. Yeah, I suppose so. They're kind of um, reinforcing that behavior. And all you need to do is to wake up, and they can start practicing being A-OK again. Mm. But they don't know they have that choice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's so many, um, there's so many I have to's or I must do this with, um, life is complicated with life. Yeah. And it seems like there's, there's no other option. You have to do it. Um, but it's more like you choose to do the things you do. Um, yeah. But we do it out of the feeling of necessity. Yeah, that's true as well. But that necessity, though, is nothing but if you strip away all of the fancy language around it, it's fear. Yeah. Fear. That's what, that's what the whole word necessary or need comes from. It's not that I want it because I'll be fine without it if I don't want it. But need it means it's an issue of survival somehow. Yeah, it's um, it's like we're all so driven by this fear and it just gets more and more subtle. Um, but it's the main driving force. Exactly. And so that driving force of the fear, which came with the possible the thought of um, maybe just the one word come in a full-blown thought of work. Mm. And then the anxiety for work comes up, and with that anxiety then comes the parents' messages, you've got to go work, and that's the second thought that comes in. Yep. And then somewhere under his breath, the kid says, I don't want to go to work right now. I like what I'm doing right now. But when he says that, he's already lost what he was doing right now. Yeah. Now he's got to listen exactly. to mommy. He's not driving on the wall anymore. Yep. <laughs> now he's getting... Ah, okay. And so that little sequence that happens inside the mind can be very subtle, but we can catch it. Because all of that that I just talked about, it took me, what, a uh, couple, three minutes to say it. It took less than a second or two for all of that stuff to happen. Yeah. One after another, after another, like that. And, and these internal dialogues. And so, uh, psychology has studied enough of that and become expert enough on it, not just to help client because in fact the problem with the client is not that he doesn't understand what this is going on it's that he's not practicing it 
the way that you're practicing. That's what the whole quality is, that, that these are skills that have to be developed to overcome all of these deeply ingrained habits. Yeah. But psychology still knows about it. That's why they're capable of manipulating the masses so effectively. It is unbelievable, and yet I know exactly. It's not unbelievable, but not that I believe it. I can see it in great mm. detail of why so many people still cling to Donald Trump. Yeah. It's like, I don't like human psychology being that way <laughs> because yeah. it really is manipulable. Yeah, it, um, it really is. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's um, amazing how, how powerful it is. And, um, and just, it's, it's scary how powerful it is. <laughs> and it is. In fact, the cosmic joke that that's how it is, I guess. That's the big punchline. And you're, you're, the, you're it, you know. It's like yeah. that's, that's how things are, that humans are still not really fully human because they're completely manipulable, just like your average um, sheep or cow exactly. or horse or dog. That any it's, animal that can be trained, the humans are the ones that are trained, and they're and they're trained not. to do what they're told to do, no matter how they feel about it. Yep. And what a lot of people don't understand, they think, oh. We need to change the form of government, or we need to pass this or that kind of law, or we need to go uh, make them clean up the air, or things like that. And there's a lot of ordinary, good-minded people that can do that. There, the, the world is filled with people who want to make the world better so that they can feel better. Mm. The real task is, can you actually, each individual one of us, in, in a kind of a conversation like this, we have to come to that conclusion, yes, I can, in fact, change my mind, and then I don't have to change the outside world. Yep. That I can do everything that needs to be done right here on site. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. That's, that's the goal. And, and, then, uh, and then the ordinary mind will say, well, what about everybody else? The answer is, well, those who really understand the nature of the mind don't have to go act like all of those people who don't know how the mind works in order to do good. It is better to stay at the level of understanding actually what's going on without getting in it. Mm. Which I would say the phrase would be being in the world but not of the world. Mm. That we can we can see what's going on, but we do kind of have an obligation, and that obligation is occasionally pulling somebody aside and teaching them the Dhamma. And if we keep doing that, we'll keep drawing more and more out of that crowd. And I think that there's kind of a movement getting started now, where yep. a lot of people are beginning to say, "Wait a minute." I do recognize, I 
do see it. Yeah, that I can be good off of meditation and then all of a sudden I got to go to work and look how I have changed my feeling. <laughs> and maybe it would be better just to not have to worry about going to work. Yeah. This is part of the reason why the Buddha has what we call the four requisites. Have you heard of the four requisites in the sense of Buddhist? I've heard of them, but I don't know what they are. All right. The four, these are actually a new lifestyle. Right. Because um, the way that humans live normally is, is that we require anything we want. Yeah. But the real requirements are kind of a baseline. In fact, psychology knows all about this uh, in the sense of real poverty, downtrodden, mm -hmm. dirt poverty mm -hmm. is uh, a form of suffering all on its own. So when someone gives above a certain kind of level, a certain base level, then they feel a whole lot better about your environment. But then the environment's done its job, the rest of it is up to the individual. So no matter how much better he makes the environment, he will not increase his mind. Mm -hmm. there, but there is a baseline level. An example of that would be shoes mm -hmm. or clothing. But in fact, this is part of it. Uh, the four requisites is adequate, but just adequate housing. Then we have adequate clothing. <laughs> this is getting funny. And then adequate food. And then adequate medical attention. Mm -hmm. Now, in fact, there's a whole lot of people all over the Western world that's a high class that don't have all of these four things, and yet they struggle and they struggle and they struggle just trying to get up to a baseline. Mm -hmm. But once we reach that baseline, then everything after that is kind of easy. All we have to do is maintain that kind of baseline. Now, one of the ways of um, requiring little in the uh, way of uh, medicine and healthcare is to stop listening to the cosmetic industry and all the pill industries and everything like that and only take medications that you know are going to be of value and benefit. Mm -hmm. And so we begin to, uh, to close down on it. That in fact, to, to understand that the medical industry in the West, by and large, is a racket. Yeah. And it's designed to be a profit center. Yep. Exactly. And so uh, we use them when we need them. But we don't use them when we don't need them, and it's our choice. And mm -hmm. we have to make sure of that so that it, we can keep it to that level of just adequate, just at the baseline. Sure, we take the medicines that we think that we need, and that's up to us to figure out what that is so that we can keep that medical expense way down. For instance, insurance. I don't understand, and I haven't really for my whole life had any understanding why anyone in the United States would want to buy medical insurance. It's almost like the biggest scam there is, is, is medical insurance. But it's, um, it's, it's different in the UK, but in America, it's, um, 
It's it's uh, expensive to get medical treatment if you're not insured, isn't it? Not if you don't pay for it. How do you not pay for it? Well, you complain. You tell them, hey, that doctor wasn't very good today. I think I ought to sue you for malpractice. And all of a sudden, your bill is not really important after all. You got to be a lion sometimes. You tell them, hey, if you're over, I'm not going to be overcharged. I want you to par- charge me what you charge for Medicaid. You prove to me that you get what you, you know, you got to, I'm, I, this is business. Mm. Okay, but you see the whole idea is, is that, oh, it's a big hospital, oh, oh, they're important, oh, I'm, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. But the lion is not going to behave that way. If I've got to deal with those folks, I'm going to deal at an, at an equal basis with them. So I do you think it's actually to possible do to do that? And, pardon? You think... Because I don't, I don't know if it's actually possible for Americans to do that and, and actually negotiate the kind of fair prices. I don't know. If everyone who had a bill from a doctor or a hospital complained and complained and complained that they're charging too much money and I don't believe you, and I think that this right, is yeah. a bogus item. And let's get my lawyer and your lawyer to go to court over this so that we can find out what a good bill would be. Their, their prices would come right down. Fair enough. <clears throat> so somebody's got to do it. Like I was about to say, I've only had, did done this one time mm-hmm. in my whole life. But sometimes people take you to a doctor, whether you want to go or not. And so they, uh, the family insisted. Uh, what happened was is that I, <laughs> I had a skill saw, and I set it down before it had stopped running, and I set it down on my leg. Oh. <laughs> and I still got about a four or five-inch scar. It's quite beautiful there. <laughs> but I was quite wow. comfortable to, to, to not go. There was no reason for me to go to the hospital. Really? Yeah, there was no need for to go to the hospital. Yeah, I mean, what is the doctor going to do? Stitch it up. Most, most of stitching has to do with cosmetics. Really? Yeah, most stitching has to do with cosmetics. The, the leg's going to heal. If you take care of it, if you treat it right, if you make sure it doesn't get infected, if you keep it clean, keep it closed, it will heal. Especially if you keep it still. I know, I've done, (laughs) I've been doing too much motorbike racing to know. So I've had elbows that I've lost and chins that got missing and and (laughs) this hand's broken and this arm is broken and this leg's got a huge uh, 14-inch piece of steel still left in it. Wow. <laughs> okay, so that that kind of stuff, on top of the monk's attitude, because in Thailand, the monks don't go to the... There is two, especially one main monk's hospital in, in Thailand. Right. But right. by large, monks don't go. Even so what Victor if they get Bruce really Nassau, sick? 
refused to have the, uh, the, the helicopter of the king of Thailand. King of Thailand offered his helicopter to come pick up the Kabutadasa and take him to one of the better uh, hospitals in, uh, wow. um, in Bangkok. And the Kabutadasa turned him down. Sorry, I don't need it. Wow. I'm good to die. I'm already 87. I've had enough of this place. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'd take the medical care. Uh, well, yeah, back, back to the story anyway. Um, um, I really argued with him over the bill. Right. And, and got it reduced. The first part was the easy part, and that was because there was two separate bills, one for the doctor and one for the hospital. And it was really easy to get that doctor's bill out of the way. Mm -hmm. Because I said, that doctor that did that was a student. You had a student do that to me, and you're, you're charging me $500, whatever it was, to, uh, for that stitch. That was just a couple of stitches is all that doctor did. It didn't take him three minutes. <laughs> and he's a student. And they said, never mind, never mind. <laughs> Wow. They actually reduced it for you. They know the doctor's part. They just forgot it. They said, never mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. They didn't want to deal with me. <laughs> Especially with me howling with laughter while I was telling them that they were crooks. <laughs> <laughs> and so... The hospital did too. They finally, uh, um, uh, I think they they quit too. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember the outcome of that, but I do remember that it was so remarkably easy to get that doctor to back right off. That's that's very surprising. I would not have expected that. <laughs> this video may cause a revolution <laughs> medical <laughs> care. <laughs> At the grassroots level, each person, one at a time, can do what they need to do for themselves and teach others that we can do it that way. So anyway, back to the requisites. Adequate food, adequate clothing. Adequate, yeah, right. But I mean the drop. <laughs> <laughs> and adequate housing. And here you see that I'm in outdoors. So uh, we can find a way to where our living expenses are dirt cheap yeah that's true and you can still live really well then in yeah. fact the, the whole commune world that was uh beginning to bud in uh the early 1970s i still think that's the root of why so many retreat centers are springing up and retreat centers could always use an extra gardener or two who doesn't care much about gardening. Uh -huh. Just a place to hang out. Wats and temples like that are uh, are the thing to do in Thailand. Oh yeah. But there are, yeah, right. That's what where people go to hang out. They can always get a free meal at the Wat. Yeah, makes sense. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'll get dormitory space, easy enough, so people can come 
In, in fact, at Wat Suan Mok, the dormitory for the Thais, they have private rooms, but the Westerners have to be in this big area. That's <laughs> one of the things. But anybody who wants to come, any backpacker who comes to Wat Suan Mok, they've got a place to stay as long as they want to stay there. If they stay there long enough, they'll get private accommodations. Mm. That's nice. But that would be true at any Wat in Thailand, especially the bigger, the, the more likely that is, especially if you're there for practicing Dhamma. Uh. But now I know that there are more than 200 watts in uh, the U.S., Thai watts, as well as another Whoa. 100 or so. More than wow. 200. 200, right. They're, they're springing up. And not only that, but some of the best, most high-quality monks in Thailand are coming to the U.S. to head some of these big watch. They're well-funded from Thailand. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there are any... I know there's one in the U.K. Um, no, there's several that I can tell you about. One in Chithurst, the other one is the Hamel Hempstead. There's another one in downtown London someplace. A big Thai place. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, you you can do some research. In fact, that would be a good thing for you to do. We need all of the names of all the watts and all of the retreat centers and any place that people can go in England. I would mm-hmm. like to have a list of all of those places so that we can tell everybody, here you go. Mm, yeah. If you want different uh, housing and a different living environment where you don't have to work for a living, that's what Buddhism is really all about, is quit that world and let's go have fun together. Yeah. Yeah, I can and get, um, I, I can get a and list. Yet I, go ahead. Okay, yes. So what I have seen is... Uh, Corporations or businesses in general are now in the business of mindfulness. There's a place called Mindful Life or whatever. It's a big business. Right, and they're actually corporate. They're trying to uh, sell mindfulness practice uh, at the corporate level. Right? You guys be careful. (laughs) (laughs) You guys be careful. Those slaves may start to wake up if you teach them how. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's more than just a productivity tool. Right, they think that it's a product- productivity tool, but in fact it's just the opposite. Yeah. That in fact the Dhamma is the comma that leads to the end of comma. Have oh, you yeah. ever heard of that expression? No, Are I haven't. It um, leads to the end of comma. Yeah. Okay, the four kinds of comma are good action leads to good results, bad action leads to bad results, and that um, wrong view is, is that, oh, I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. That I can go do bad and I won't have to have the bad results, okay? But right view is, oh, no, you can't. We're going to make sure that you are going to have to suffer for the damage you've done, okay? Mm-hmm. And so this is ordinary right view or the parent 
and I can get away with it, the child of wrong view. And that the uh, super mundane right view is to look at what really is going on. But that, and by doing so right now, we're examining this ancient law of karma that every religion is built upon. The whole point of going to heaven is you've been a sinner, you've done bad, you continue to do bad, but I'll forgive you anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as opposed to um, you're a sinner, you've been a sinner, you continue to sin, and get out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's the whole idea of are you in or are you out or do you survive or do you die um, is the um, uh, all feeling based. Yep. But that it still has this quality of doing right or doing wrong. Yeah. But the Buddha is talking about it completely differently because one of the things uh, that's mentioned uh, is actually in several places where the Buddha says, I understand karma and the comings and goings of things based upon cause and effect. In other words, all action and the result of that action is generally right then and there. Mm -hmm. They work together. Uh, the result, uh, for instance, the result of banging your thumb with a hammer is is that your thumb aches. Yeah. Right? That's what we mean by comma. You don't hit your thumb with a hammer and then three centuries later the comma machine digs you up just to give you a thumb ache. <laughs> so, the Buddha also points out that some actions are indetermined as to whether they're good or bad until you get the result. The result determines the action in the sense of you buy money or you put money on the stock market. The stock goes up, it was a good buy. Mm. If the stock goes down, it was not a good buy. Mm. How are we going to know? We don't know those things in advance. And this is what leads uh, the Buddha to say that comma, that kind of comma, is unknowable in its outcome that we can't we don't know what our actions are actually going to do mm-hmm. and yet almost all of our society is based upon the fact they think they know the outcome of good actions give good results and bad actions give bad results you you come to work and you do a good job and we'll give you a paycheck mm-hmm. good work good paycheck okay the answer is wait a minute I did this much work, and I got only about half of that. The reason you hired me is because you knew you could make money off of me. Where's my other part of my money? Mm-hmm. Right. This is what Marxism and uh, uh, socialism is really all about. Is where capitalism is, is means one person will get part of the value of each of his employees and puts that in his pocket to where socialism is, is that everyone gets their own value for what they do. Mm. But when each person gets value for what they individually do, you don't wind up with multimillionaires. Multimillionaires, by the very nature of capitalism, have to steal money 
It comes from greed. It comes from greed, precisely. So when we begin to understand those things, that by working in that world out there, we're actually supporting that world. And that we're being abused by that world. Mm. That in fact, if we can come to the point of recognizing that our that our actions are actually mixed, that we don't get full value. And we've already seen that with the example of uh, what is good action. Well, it depends upon the result. Mm-hmm. Now we can see that if at a football game, if you throw a penalty flag in the air, or the, uh, the um, umpire does, or the referee, or whatever they call it, and half the crowd cheers because they like that call, and the other half boos because they don't like the call. Was that call good or not? <clears throat> now the answer, the question is: Is it was it a correct call? That can be determined by videos that we have nowadays. Yep. But that's not the point. The point is the crowd liked it or didn't like it, and so that's a matter of viewpoint, opinion, and our our feelings. But there's, um, so in fact, comma is mixed. It has mm-hmm. good results sometimes, bad results sometimes. It has, uh, sometimes it's mixed good and bad in, uh, intentions, and it gives good and bad results. Um, clouds always have a silver lining, you know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But there's a fourth kind of comma. And that kind of comma is not, is not mixed, it's not bright. And it's not dark. What does it mean by being not dark is is that we are not actually out there trying to get something or to harm somebody or to do some business deal or whatever, that our actions are more pure. Mm -hmm. That we're not out there doing harm or involved with that world. And then the other one is not bright, means that we're not trying to make merit, we're not trying to gain a profit, we're not trying to... uh, uh, gain any value out of what we do, we do it simply because that's what needs to be done right now. Yep. And whatever level the word need means here. So it's immediate. This kind of comma that is neither bright nor dark always gives results that are neither bright nor dark. If we don't harm anybody, we don't have to suffer the consequences of harming someone. Yeah. Okay. And that's the kind of action that leads to the end of action. The kind of action that leads to the end of action is not no action. A lot of people in Buddhism, they think, oh, well, if if non-doing's the trick, then all I have to do is to sit down and not do. But the Buddha recognizes it's a little more complicated than that. We actually have to take active measures to put a stop to that good and bad. And then it'll, it'll come to a stop after we put a stop to it. So we can see that this, this grand philosophical understanding of the nature of actions and karma and all of that actually happens every time we practice anapanasati. This is one's right effort, is to come out of the good and bad making kind of comma, the ordinary stuff, the mixed up stuff, the the cheering and the booing, (laughs) and just settle into, oh, wow, this is nice, Uh, this is comfortable. 
And so we come into that state of non-doing. So it's like coming out of the karma. No, it's like coming out of the intention to intentions which... To get something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, um, yeah, clinging kind of intentions. Or the intention to get rid of something. Oh, yeah. That too, yeah. So that everything comes sabai sabai, easy going, hunky dory. That's my new joke. Have you ever heard of that expression? Everything is hunky dory. Yeah. I don't know if I want dory hunky or not. Uh-huh. <laughs> A little less hunky. <laughs> so when we come to that state of everything is just okay like it is, that's that really is a kind of a neutral state, which is always somewhere between wanting to get something or wanting to get rid of something. Mm. Want to bring this, want to push that away. The going and the coming. And so, so it's the neutral the, state. The neutral state is, is to uh, come to the end of uh, the goings and comings of one's own mind. The hindrances. Mm. Makes sense. That, that's the real comma that we're doing. The real comma that we're making is that spinning around of samsara. We keep doing it, we keep doing it, and the results are we keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <And so funny. laughs> it just, it's a vicious circle. Uh-huh. And uh, the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa has a beautiful article in... Uh, um, uh, uh, a Lions War magazine from several years ago uh, uh, that is talking about of actually the name of it is uh, comma the choice is yours that rings a bell I don't think I've read it but the, the, that title rings a bell mm-hmm. and this is what Anapanasati is really all about is to wake up recognize we got that so that stuff out of the mind and come to a really happy state. We keep mm. doing that over and over and over and over again until it becomes our new way of life. Mm. And that happens when uh, you're doing it and you're getting pretty good at it and then you can say, oh, i got to go to work. And then you say, wait a minute, screeching halt, you know, stop <laughs> the man. Wait a minute, we need to start examining the lifestyle now. <laughs> yeah. And when we recognize, you know, I can fix it up. I can get it down to being a, having a very, very simple life. And by doing so, we can find support in many places. There's so many people and places in Thailand and throughout the West. Um, in fact, religion is known for and about its uh, charity and generosity. Uh. Well... It's not Christian generosity, it's human generosity. Mm. That we, in fact, when we're, when we're on friendly terms, we share with each other. It's only when we see the other as a villain or the other as other, that's when we have to, to make a deal or to transact or to do business or to fight or to whatever that kind of stuff is. Uh, yep. 
And so when we find a way to, uh, to understand, there are ways of checking out. There are numbers of ways of checking out. And so uh, one of them is through the, uh, uh, the Theravada Watt that, you know, go, go find one and go start hanging out there. Yeah, I've um I have been thinking about um checking them out um once they open again. Right. Um, now it's not the moment, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um but I know they have um you know some retreats there as well, so I was thinking of um of signing up for some of the smaller ones. Um, and seeing what they're like. There's actually quite a number of guys in and around London area, and it would be good if you coordinate with each other for which watch you're going to go to and maybe go mm-hmm. in a small group and things like that. And I've got, oh, gosh, there's, there's Robert and Matt and you and uh, Clint. I've met and, Matt. Huh? I've met Matt on a call with you once. Right. None of the others, though. Well, there are those who are uh, gaining the noble dhamma, and that uh, the thing that a lot of Westerners would, you know, within Western Buddhism, there's a lot of magical thinking, and then there is the pragmatic dhamma or the secular dhamma, or the ones that are trying to pull the magic out of it. And they kind of somehow magically, even though they're taking the magic out, they somehow magically believe that the magic has always been there and that they're doing something brand new. They don't understand Uh that in Asia, they've been taking the magic out of Dhamma for centuries now. Yep. That's the deeper meaning behind it. Right, and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is a big, big star in Thailand still because he did that in public. He took the magic out of the Dhamma. And mm-hmm. so now, um, uh, uh, the example is the one in Chithurst and also the one, in, um, I think it's uh, Amaravati in Himal That's the one I've heard of, yeah. Uh, they are very, very familiar with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And mm-hmm. that in fact, through Achan Cha, their teacher, Achan Cha was a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Mm-hmm. That Achan Cha has done things like bring his a whole group of his Western monks to Chaya so that they can hear Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa give talks. Mm-hmm. I met Achan Samedo at Wat Suan Mok. I met Achan Cha at Wat Suan Mok. Okay. So there's a deep, close connection between uh, uh, the Achan Cha uh, tradition and uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's lineage. In fact, it's kind of the same one. Okay. Uh, and so um, that's a good place to go. They also have a, a smaller place in uh, uh, Chithurst, which mm-hmm. I think is way down in the south someplace. But there's also a big Thai temple that I know of, at least one, in London. And that's mm-hmm. where all the Thai people go. And they are also, um, let us say, um, interconnected. Okay. And so, there in London, there's kind of a not a hotbed of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, but certainly it's there. That's um. It's yeah, not that's going to be a whole to lot have. of magical ten, 
temple, that Thailand is not necessarily as magical as uh, people in the West would, would think that it is. Mm -hmm. So I would invite you to, uh, to go and explore that. Um, we need to make that connection between the Westerners and the Asian tradition. There's a whole lot that can be taught that cannot be gained from a book or from what someone sitting by themselves, that it takes a community, that that's yeah. the reason why the Buddha formed the Sangha, was he, he wanted a retreat center, literally, a get away from it all kind of place, and yeah. there are the woods, <laughs> there, there are the forest, here we go, we got a place to go now. Um, that happened in the beginning, but very soon after the Buddha started having a lot of followers, lay people would start to build huts and kutis just mm -hmm. all over the place. And then a monk would come and stay there for a while, and then he'd leave and it'd be vacant, and then some new monk would come and stay. And so that's um, uh, that old tradition uh, of little huts in the forest or um, retreat centers. That sprung from the time of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, literally, the whole idea of retreat means to um, <laughs> abandon the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so I would welcome you uh, to do that. And all of this talk that we've had today came from that one inside of, oh, I don't want to go back to work. And I can <laughs> see that. Yep. Because this has got a lot of ramifications. Once you get to that point of recognizing that uh, uh, there is dukkha in that whole, not that we were trapped in it from childhood, but that we are still trapped in it right now. Mm. And that the whole society is trapped in it. Now it seems like that. Well, if there are, if there, are, if so many people are trapped in it, you've got to have some trappers there someplace. Yeah. But know the trappers themselves are trapped. Yeah. That the guy who's got the most money, he still wants more, and the guy who's got almost as much money is trying to get more than that so that he can be on top. And the guy <laughs> on top says, "Oh no, you don't." Exactly. And so everybody's clamoring to get more and more and more, and nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. And our whole society has gone south that way. Yeah. And so this today is our lesson on Sila Bhatta Paramasa in a, in a big way, because it's, it's instinctual. It's mm. instinctual. Uh, in fact, you could think of it uh, I like to think of it more now is it's our herding instinct. That wildebeest will collect together when the lions are there. Yeah. Okay, so all one old wildebeest has to do is creep saying, I see that lion, I see the lion, and he's got them all in a little group. <laughs> Another example of that, this is my, this is a good one. Okay. The dog, a sheep dog. Is barking at the sheep, and he barks around and he barks around, and he gets them all in a nice little herd, and then he can get that little herd over to the gate, and then he can get them to go through the gate. Mm -hmm. 
But one of those old rams turns around to his buddies and say, you know something, every one of us is bigger than that dog. All he's got is bark. Why don't we go surround him? Yeah. And then about five of the old dudes start going back to that dog and say, hello, dog. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll only take just a few of them to occupy the dog, and then the rest of the sheep are completely free. Mm. But no, they don't. They're not smart enough to do that. The question is, are humans smart enough? We are. We are are smart enough. (laughs) We just don't know it. You just don't know, right, that we do not have to be in that herd. Yeah. We do not have to go to work because we were told to work. And we've been told to work. Isn't that interesting? In the first grade, we were told to work. And the value and benefit is graduation to second grade. Well, what to do? Second grade. And then do that trick on you. Oh, you get out of junior high school and you're in real high school now. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, you graduated from high school? University. That's your. <laughs> it's all just a jumping through hoops. Right, exactly. And so they put us to work from our childhood, and they think that we're going to continue to work for the rest of our lives. But generally, somewhere around the life age of forty, the midlife crisis sets in. Yeah. And that's when uh, they buy the Harley Davidson. Yeah. Or the Jaguar. <laughs> because their whole life has been unsatisfying, so they go back to uh, expensive childhood toys. But it's too late. And now they're old men. Mm. And they never got any real benefit out of all of that work that they put in. They were always promised. So in a fact, in a way... This guy's been like a draft animal his whole life. Uh, He's been nothing but a jackass or donkey with a carrot and a stick. It's modern slavery. It is modern slavery, precisely. Except that it's even more vicious than slavery because it's, um, uh, (laughs) how to say it, it's animal abuse. (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're all animals and we're out around abusing I mean this whole society abuses it's built a nice pyramid or two wonderful technology cell phones are marvelous but everybody's still suffering everybody's still unhappy and miserable everybody thinks they don't get enough so the idea can you get enough can you actually come to the point of saying, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, it's good that um, people are starting to realize how things can be different. It's happening more these days. Yes. Watch out. The ground is shaking. Some earth-shattering um, uh, rearrangements are going to be mm-hmm. happening. People are waking up. The internet's helping them. Coronavirus yeah. is helping. Uh, waking up to police brutality. Yep. The thing that people don't understand is the whole point of police is brutality. Yeah. 
and the people who the police want to join their police force are the ones who are already bullies. Yeah, I suppose they don't that's want true. nice people in the police department. They want tough soldiers. Yeah, they want somebody who out there beating ass. Yeah, and the people are beginning to run. We don't need anybody out here beating our butt. We don't need them. We don't need the cops. Let the cops go home. We need social programs. We need some beds. Mm. We need some housing. We need some adequate food and adequate medical attention. Yeah. And a couple of Mickey Mouse t-shirts to throw in by the side. <laughs> just the basics. Just, just the basic facts is all we need. And we don't need a police force. London used to be that way. The Bobbies used to not have guns at all. They went around unarmed. Yeah, they still don't have guns here. Um, uh, they have tasers, most of the police. It's um, in, which in is, America which is they've got they've got the taser, they have the uh, the gun, and they've got the cell phone that call in the SWAT team. Yeah. With tanks and weapons and all of that kind of stuff. They've got and it we all. don't we don't need that kind of police. Humans don't need that kind of police. Mm. And so people are waking up to that. I think the internet is is uh, is part of it, but this shut in and everybody getting really tense and uptight, uh, frantic as we were talking about from uh, the Corona uh, situation. This is what when people begin to suffer enough, they begin to really wake up to what's going on. Mm. And we thought that we could build a nice, easy-going society, and humans are doing a very good job of that right now. And yep. people are getting a little bit, to, wait a minute, let's make some changes here. Yeah. They're also beginning to, um, I think a lot of them are recognizing that the changes that need to be done are not out there in the world. That the way yeah. to deal with police is by having them not around at all. Avoid them completely. Being the, the motorcycle maniac that I was from such a young age, we had different set of rules than most people. One of the rules we had was every cop, you got to see him first before he sees you. Oh, wow. You see uh -huh. the cop before he sees you and you're okay. If he sees you before you see him, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I like that. But that was when we were out there doing stuff. Actually, sometimes we do, we do it intentionally for the police just so we can get them to chase us. Uh-huh. But those days are over. Nowadays, they have radios. <laughs> yeah, they've got everything now. But back then, it was a little bit different. So anyway, um, everyone has kind of a bit of a rebellious spirit. But that spirit has been literally suppressed in the, turning us into the animals that society has, has turned us into. 
and that the real rebellion is to not to try to transform or change society at all. Mm. The real rebellion is to look at what's going on so that you can manage it wisely. Yeah. So that we don't have to get stuck into their trap. We can see their trap and avoid it. That's, that's really a lot of what the Dhamma is all about. And so the Buddha here, he gives a, a way of getting out of it all together. And that whole tradition is still very much alive and well. Mm-hmm. And can grow significantly when we have the people who want to uh, leave the society. There will be places, always places open and available. If people are able to do the research. Mm. That's yeah, part it's of the good reason to know why that. we're putting this database together is so that people can come and find places. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have that available. Well, I would appreciate it if you do that looking up kind of stuff and to find everything that's available. Um, yeah, I can do that. You can even go so far as to call, start calling them around and, and, uh, and, and asking them these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Making friends with them. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like sounds like a good idea. So that you'll be the go-to guy in England. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a really interesting conversation. Yep, it's been great. And I pre- yeah, so... Um, Next time when you see that feeling of, oh, i got to go to work, you say, ah, yeah, but I can whistle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you don't lose that cool. All right, well, we'll see you later. See ya.